Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hey, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Engineering shakeups at two Holden teams. Marcus wins at the Glen again. We had the three fastest cars duking it out for the win. That's the way it should be. And we find out more about Jacques Villeneuve's plans for 2013. Australia is special. It'd be a nice place to have to end up. That's all coming up today as the lights go out on another edition of a V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jacques Villeneuve has told the V8 Insiders that although his new wife has not made it to Australia yet, he would be keen to make V8 supercars his focus of 2013. Yes, it would be. Um, I don't know if there's any possibility, but if, if, if there was to be one, then I would look at it very seriously. Uh, you know, Australia is, is special. It would be a nice place to, uh, to, uh, to end up. And, and obviously with a different car, it puts everyone at the same playing field. <coughs> Well, it's it's not 100% different. The you know there's still bits from this car that, that will be bolted on the new car. So uh, you know the teams running at the front will probably still be running at the front, but they will have things to, to they'll need to learn like everybody else. Normally, whenever there's something new, the better team will figure out the bits a lot faster. Craig Spencer is moving back to Australia to take up the position of performance director at Kelly Racing, which was vacated last week by Tony Dow. Spencer is returning to Australia after spending time with Mercedes-Benz Formula One team, along with a number of other professional motorsport operations in Europe. Spencer previously worked with Rick Kelly as data engineer at the Toll HSV dealer team in his championship year. Spencer starts with Kelly Racing following the Sandown 500. Tony Dow, meanwhile, wasted no time in announcing that he would be moving to Walkinshaw Performance to take up the role of Engineering and Development Manager. Dow started in the job this week, which sees him overseeing both HRT and the Super Cheap Auto V8 programs. Dow's move links him once again with the Walkinshaw Group, as he was previously Managing Director of Tom Walkinshaw's Racing's United States program and was the Director of Racing at Arrows when Walkinshaw owned the team. Lee Holsworth's Irwin Tools Car will have a new livery for Sydney and Sandown as the team thanks the tradies who use their products. 
Jason Akamanis will be driving in Aussie racing cars at Sydney Motorsport Park. The colourful football identity is keen to take a turn at V8 supercars and is hoping that linking with the Erebus Motorsport team will lead him to more motor racing opportunities, as the team also fields a Mercedes SLS AMG GT3 in the Australian GT series, and was recently linked with a failed plan to have AMG involved in V8 supercars with a Stone Brothers link. And finally, Marcus Ambrose has won his second NASCAR Cup race with a last lap pass at Watkins Glen to grab victory. He talked about how he was able to grab the race win with very tricky conditions as oil covered the circuit. Big shout out to NASCAR. A lot of guys are going to say, should they throw on a caution, should they not? No one wants to see these races finish under caution or you know bunch back up in these two-by-twos and make it a random finish. We had the three fastest cars duking it out for the win. That's the way it should be, and I think they did the right call. Ambrose says that it was an opportunistic win, but his team deserved it. Like Todd said, you just got to put yourself in good positions and wins will come. And uh, that's what we did today. We had a fast car. We were in position to take advantage when it, when it went crazy, and we got the win. So uh, we didn't luck into it. We deserved to get this win, and uh, we'll take it. Marcus said he was almost ready to settle for second place to Kyle Busch in the late part of the race. He wasn't making any mistakes and he had a fast car and, uh, you know, I, I just burnt my stuff up trying to get to him and I was really, you know, thinking, OK, it, it may be second place here. And um, well, then the oil came down and I slipped to third and I thought, well, that's not the plan. <laughs> and so I just put my head down and just kept trying and, uh, you know, uh, made, made less mistakes than the other two, I guess. Oh. Ambrose praised the competition from Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski. Just a lot of pressure. Uh, and you're up against the best drivers in the world. I mean, I've got to take and uh, take a second here to, to say Brad Keselowski and Kurt, Kyle Busch are two of the best road racers I've been around. I mean, they're, they're amazing drivers. Uh, you know, just a lot of fun to be driving against them, around them, and uh, put ourselves in contention for the win. Team owner, the King Richard Petty, said that the finish at Watkins Glen reminded him of some of the old-school battles he was involved with. You, you get down to, like he says, you get down to the... Last of the race, uh, I know some of you old guys remember me and Allison used to do a, a lot of beating and bashing the last two or three laps and stuff. Uh, me and Pearson's been in a couple of different ones. I've been, I've been in with a lot of them, I'd put it that way. Yeah, it, you, you you go and you run and you do the best you can, and then you try to take advantage of the circumstances as was there. And that's what Marcos did today. And that's the news for Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out their entire range today at nobrac.com.au. After the break, Richard Crowell and Chris Jewell will join me. Then on the White Flag Lap, Rick Kelly talks about his season. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Take in the V8s of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now.
The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me this week, the voice of V8 Supercars, Chris Jewell. Good evening, Chris. G'day, Craig. How are you going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Now, the voice of just about everything else that goes on at the track, <laughs> Richard Crail. Good evening, Rich. Goff it. G'day, Craig. How are you? G'day, Jewell. Hey, mate. How you doing? Look. Very well. Well, it's a, uh, an interesting weekend, and uh, we've had twilight night racing up there at Queensland Raceway, probably a week after everyone expected it to be on. And then we had Marcus Ambrose winning in NASCAR. It's Richard, we spoke earlier in the week on Inside Motorsport, and uh, two very contrasting things happening in motorsport, but both of them fantastic for Australian motorsport fans and Australian motorsport in general. Yeah, no doubt. The, the Ambrose thing was, was phenomenal to watch, not so much in the fact that he won again, because we now are at the point, I think, where we probably expect him to win or, or expect him to at least be one of the, the key contenders on a road course in a NASCAR, but was the way he won that was got so many people talking and the fact that he did it so brilliantly in the last lap in an all-out war with Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski on the last lap at one of the, the toughest road courses in the States... And he got the job done by the skin of his teeth right at the very end. Brilliant, brilliant motor race. Great finish and great for Marcus Ambrose, obviously, to get another win. Probably keeps him in championship contention because he needed to win to uh, get himself in the chase a little bit later on. Probably needs to win again before that NASCAR playoff system kicks in. And he still hasn't won one on an oval yet, but I think he'd take a road course victory at this stage of the game. Mm, And Chris, uh, did that pull you away from the Olympics closing ceremony? Uh, it didn't take a hell of a lot, to be quite honest. Um, Watkins Glen's a fantastic circuit, and one that I've been to a couple of times before. You just don't realise the topography there and, and how quick the track is as far as average speed's concerned. But those last three or four laps, uh, thank God there was no green-white checker because it needed to go all the way to the end. And I honestly thought that uh, Marcus's uh, on-track management of the last two corners specifically were just exemplary, the way that he actually summed up exactly where he needed to be and went where he needed to be, even though it looked like it was the wrong place, and it worked out brilliantly. And, yeah, I think that uh, it puts him even further on the map, but as Richard said, like, we do expect road courses, you know, to have Marcus Ambrose figuring the top three at worst, and I guess if you hadn't seen you turn it on, you would have said, fait accompli, but uh, the way he went about doing it was just remarkable, and... Uh, yeah, you could even hear the, the crowd over the uh, the commentators. The only problem with all of it was the commentators had no clue what was going on. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the thing that got me the most about it, Julio, was, was the reaction of the drivers after it. And it kind of gives you hope, maybe for us over here and, and the kind of racing we have, is that Brad Keselowski and Ambrose and Kyle Busch, for that matter, despite ending up in the fence, all said that was just good, proper, hard motor racing. Bit of bumping, nothing too brutal. But they got into each other a couple of times, but it was all good. It was all sort of all fair in love and war kind of stuff. And to a T, the, the reaction was the same. Just what a great motor race, great way to do it. All fair, really hard racing. I, I think that's the best thing about it is the way they reacted to it. Cole Bush could have been really bitter, as he is quite often. Um, and Keselowski could have been a bit upset. He got a big whack for Ambrose through the carousel, but they weren't. They were just 
beaming in the fact that it was a, a brilliant motor race. And that's what I liked about it. Well, yeah, I think it was fantastic. With the exception of Kyle Busch, I think uh, Kozlowski, he uh, at least know he had used the uh, chrome horn a couple of times on Ambrose uh, in those laps, mm. counting down to it. So he wouldn't feel too bad uh, because he just got payback. But the question I need to ask you both, and Chris, I'll go to you first. Does Marcus Ambrose winning in NASCAR do anything for V8 supercars? Look, not directly. Uh, unfortunately, it would be great if it did, but you know, he's really stumped up everything he had to get over there and uh, and risked a lot to try and cement his position in NASCAR. And I guess, in essence, let's hope it does something to assist his long-term longevity You know, as far as being a driver over there. If he wins one more or one uh, oval race, I think he'll be set for 10 years. He can probably dine on that, out on that one, to be quite honest. But locally, I don't think it does anything for us, to be quite honest. It probably says to a lot of people in that group, if ever a V8 supercar drivers to visit their shores, then they're a chance to do some steering. And, of course, Owen Kelly's going to do just that um, You know, in a couple of weeks' time when he stands in as well at, um, at the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. So... Um, no, I don't think it changes much in our backyard, but it certainly would endorse the capabilities of drivers who've driven V8 supercar. And I guess a few other people are probably having a bit of a look at um, what some of the internationals are doing on, on our home turf and not particularly successfully. So, um, yeah, it's an endorsement, but not much else. Mm. Richard, do you have a take on it? Oh, look, no, I agree with, with what Chris said. It's the same thing. And, and if anything, it, Marcus winning and, and people in America knowing about his background and learning more about... Australian V8 supercars, and you know we saw a lot of that last year when Speed came out and did Bathurst and Gold Coast. Was all it does? It does help it if an Aussie kid wants to go over there and go, hey, I've raced V8 supercars or I've raced similar sorts of cars like development series or, or whatever it might be. That's probably where the biggest gain comes. It's just awareness, and the thing hacks can look at it and go, well, yeah, they can steer at least on a road course for sure. Um, let's give them a go. And, and the Owen Kelly examples are. A great thing for that. So, but aside from that, no, I, I agree with Chris. I think it's probably reached the sort of level of exposure that it's going to get from what Marcus has been doing. Bear in mind, he's been doing it for five or six years now, so it's it's not necessarily a new thing. Mm. Now, It'd be nice if um, it uh, it creates a bit of interest if an opportunity exists for any of the Americans to race um, at the Circuit of Americas next year in Texas. My only concern there is we play to different rules, and I don't know how many of the, the moves we saw in that race would be uh, permissible by some of our draconian race stewards and officialdom, but um, I think we can take a leaf out of NASCAR's book, perhaps. If we go to play in America, maybe we play by their rules. All right. Yeah. Now, Mr Chopping, the views expressed just then, Chris Jewell, please take them up with him. <laughs> Should it's interesting you mentioned about um, you mentioned about Circuit Gilles Villeneuve because we have got Jacques Villeneuve down yeah. here, and um, he's he's certainly talking about being in the market for a full time ride. Chris, you have a number of young drivers in your stable. Richard, it's probably the only thing you're not into is driver management, but you probably are, and I just don't know about it. No, no. <laughs> That's Chris's game. <laughs> okay. But, Chris, seriously, is Jack Villeneuve a better fit for V8 supercars than one of the young guys you've got in, in your camp or any of the young guys out there that are trying to make the move up? Oh, look, he's a bigger name, um, without doubt. Should he be part of it? Does he deserve to be part of it? Probably two different uh, questions with two different answers in a lot of ways. It's great to have the name and, uh, and the aura 
of that name within our, our local category. And I think that he will certainly improve over time if he was given the opportunity to do so. He's just too good a racing driver in too many cars to continue to run at the back of the field. And I think the Car of the Future uh, platform will certainly assist any of the international drivers um, in adapting to our local formula. But in all honesty, you know, and putting my driver management cap to one side, I would still like to see us foster some of Australia's brightest motorsport youth. And they're just such a lot to get excited about, you know, in the Dunlop series at the moment. Scott Pye, Chas Mostert, Scott McLaughlin, you know, those guys coming through. Even Cam Waters had a good run last time out. And uh, in deference to having a big name that's had a fantastic career and, uh, and reaped the rewards from that uh, success, uh, I would love to see some of the young guys continually cycling through V8 supercar locally. Richard, what's your take on it? Well, I, I agree with Christian in that for us to build the next generation of Craig Lowndes, Jamie Winkups, Mark Winterbottoms, Will Davison, that names that are now very, very well established, especially certain C Lowndes, we need to get new drivers in through the ranks and give them a proper go. And it takes time to build those names. So you could probably argue that Nick Percat might be the next one, given he's already won uh, a Bathurst 1000 last year with Garth Tander. Um, but, yeah, I, I sort of advocate taking that younger driver path. And, and they're the drivers that are going to evolve into the next generation of superstars in V8. And they're the ones that, maybe not next year, maybe not three years, but five years down the road or even longer, um, they're the ones that are going to have the household brand recognition they're the ones that are going to resonate with Australian fans, with Australian sponsors, and you know, sort of you pull Mark Winterbottom and Piat out of your head, and you know that's a, a relationship you've got some visibility, and Will Davison and Craig Lowndes with all his stuff that's got going on. So I'd probably advocate going and getting the young driver, and use them to build your own brand by building theirs in a way, in, in growing their profile and build a superstar out of somebody. And um, I think that's probably the way to go. And that's what we saw with Craig Lowndes, wasn't it? But um, he came from relative obscurity and was built into into something pretty special. Mm. Arguably, he did a lot of that himself by being incredibly good on the racetrack. But I think the young driver was probably the way to go. Right. Well, we need to take a break on the VAD Insiders. We're definitely going to talk more about this when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Richard Crown and Chris Jewell joining me, Craig Ravel. And uh, guys, we're talking about the young driver established driver debate and i think next year in my opinion more so than the last few years a paid driver is going to be getting the lot getting the nod over talent because these teams have got a lot of uh, infrastructure they have to fund in building up car of the future and getting it in place and of course their big dividend their windfall has well either been invested wisely or spent and is not available to them to now put it into the car of the future, Chris? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Commercial reality in motorsport globally sees that drivers linked to money um, are much more prevalent 
um, in their respective fields. And I, I guess you're right in a sense, but the problem is if the driver's bringing private money, then there's no expectation for them to perform. If the driver's linked to a commercial brand, then obviously they have a totally different persona and uh, an outlook on what they're trying to achieve. But uh, I still think that there's a bit of a shake coming for V8 Supercar in the future. I think some of the salaries of days gone by will potentially have to be trimmed based on commercial reality. But uh, I just can't stomach yet that um, that pay drivers are going to be the heartbeat of V8 Supercar. Not while we still have the virtuoso career drivers like you know Lowndes, Wincup, Tanda, Will Davison, Winterbottom, etc. We've obviously named a lot of them before, but. Um, yeah, I somehow hope and pray and uh, and hopefully I can help influence the outcome in some capacity that uh, we still have the right drivers with the right funding finding a way into the category and there's still a smattering of, um, of the team owners out there who are offering drivers a chance to get in without necessarily having to bring the funding because I'd hate us to turn into, you know, GT racing as we've seen it over in Europe uh, in days gone by or even Carrera Cup to a lesser extent because obviously uh, a significant portion of that field is uh, is made up of drivers who are fortunate enough to be wealthy and that's their prerogative to go racing. But Fiat Supercar needs to balance that act, I think. But it, it can't get out of hand, can it? Because your best teams are going to pay for the best drivers, Richard. So it's only your third and fourth cars that you'd be looking to sell off to the highest bidder. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that comment. The, the other thing you've got to think about is that the, the term pay driver probably means something different nowadays as it does as it did 15 years ago when you had... Remember Formula One, and you know there were six or seven guys battling to qualify at the back of the field that were just bringing ten million bucks to a, a Tyrrell or a Minardi or whoever it might have been at the back of the field. I, I think the definition's changed. I mean, you'd be pretty hard pressed to call Maldonado a paid driver. He's a paid racing car driver. Just so happens that his salary comes from a major sponsor and the government of Venezuela, and that they're paying Williams to sponsor the team to get him in a car. So the definitions completely changed and you know James Moffat brings Norton 360 money but he's a, a racing car driver that's paid to drive racing cars it's what he does so the definition has changed but I agree with everything that's been said and I think like you said Craig that the, the number one teams the top teams are still going to pay the right drivers to drive their cars because they are going to want the best of the best and it's often those guys are the ones that are demanding a salary to do it so if you're Roland Dane the Holden Racing Team or whoever it might be, and you want to win races, you're going to have to pay for it. And that means employing a very, very good driver to do it. Mm. question is whether they have the money to pay them if the manufacturer support yeah. doesn't continue equally across each of those respective teams. And that's, and that's, that's where, like you said, the, the market's going to dictate what drivers are getting paid. And as you said, Julio, the, the days of the big wage, you know, the James Courtney wage, might I use that as an example might be over and they might just have to be a bit of reality in the market while it is like it is at the moment that they're not going to make the kind of money that they might have got out of it five or ten years ago. Mm. Uh, Absolutely spot on. Of course, uh, there's a different scale for different drivers. Garth Tander could make a lot more money. He chooses not to do all the uh, promotional appearances. He chooses not to take on all the personal sponsorship that come with the extra endorsements you have to do. So he can have his time away from it all. James, on the other hand, big personality, big profile, he's out, you know. You'd have to think he's out probably about, uh, on average, three days a week doing sponsorship commitments. And so there's that balance of am I paid racing driver or am I paid for my persona and personality? And different drivers approach it very different ways, Chris. 
Absolutely right. Sorry? I was just going to say, Jill, maybe Garth Sanders' problem is he doesn't have Chris Jill making those appearances happen. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. Look, I think the thing that's going to happen now is um, you've got a lot of drivers between 34 and 37 are at the top of their game, at the top of their earning capabilities, and that group of youngsters we mentioned uh, earlier on, including Nick Perkett, who I failed to mention, even Ashley Walsh you can throw into that group. You know, if Gary Rogers and and some of those team owners offer these guys an entry-level salary, they will jump at it, and that will instantly self-correct the market. So if you have a young driver between 19 and 23 for, you know, a sixth of the salary that you expected to pay for a a Tanda, Will Davison, you know, type uh, individual, very quickly it's going to shake the order up. And uh, and if you were running a team from a purely financial sense and trying to make either a return out of it or break even, these drivers are going to become much more popular in the eyes of uh, the team owners who are quite uh, scrupulous about how much money they pay in the marketplace. I mean, you would be astounded to learn the commencing salary that Jamie Wincup was on when Roland Dane gave him his chance. And that's likely to repeat itself over the next 12, 14, 18 months. Mm, yeah, it is, uh, it, it's a balancing act for sure. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how teams play it out, particularly next year with the Car of the Future implementation. Now, whether the economy bounces back, sponsorship becomes available long term, we'll see whether the paid drivers or the uh, lucky sperm club drivers, as uh, Dean Canto once called them, or the Jason Barguana model where he goes off and gets all his sponsors together and then he just pays to put them on the car, which is a different model which Richard was talking about, is the norm. And, well, if you're a good enough driver, you're going to get paid and that's the bottom line. Guys, I had the question down, will the change of name help improve the crowds at Eastern Creek? Of course, Sydney Motorsport Park, the next race on the agenda. And, well, I was thinking back when uh, Richard and I earlier in the week were talking about what the Shannon's Nationals did up at Queensland Raceway. And I remember this time where uh, Eastern Creek had a Saturday night race. And uh, that was, you know, that was going to be the making of of a new way of V8 supercars to be run. Channel 10's ratings flop so badly, it's never been talked about again. And, uh, Chris... Is Eastern Creek a dead venue and does it need something other than a name change to lift its profile? Well, this is a delicate balancing act, isn't it? The, uh, the act between drawing a walk-up crowd that is wanting to come along to something that's going to be entertaining in a time frame that suits them or the act of ensuring that the category rates well on the network that's being broadcast on. Virtually impossible to do both. A night race, mm. yep. You'll get lots of people turn up, and it'll look fantastic under lights, and we're always, you know, rejoicing in how good racing cars look under genuine, artif- oh, sorry, non-artificial lighting, and uh, as opposed to the bright lights of the arena where it looks like daytime. But uh, I genuinely think that uh, that is a, a very difficult answer to come up with. And while we are in the middle of television rights and very dependent on the revenue that's generated from television rights, I think the networks are always going to dictate what time of day the events are going to be on, which effectively precludes Saturday night events. Uh, being you know up for consideration here on on local shores, and to answer the last part of that uh, that dilemma slash question is is the name change going to do anything for it no it 's just not unfortunately there needs to be much more involved there and uh, the marketing of v eight supercar within New South Wales has been for so long and will continue to be one of the most difficult exercises uh, that is being undertaken by v eight supercar. 
um, commercial apartments. So, yeah, better them than me because I just don't have the answers. And unfortunately, the answer that seems to be on our lips, night racing, which would be incredibly entertaining and make for good viewing, it's just not going to be the time frame that'll let it rate. Richard, the, I... the marketplace has changed since the ARDC, who promote racing at Sydney Motorsport Park, last did a V8 supercar around there. And the other thing that's changed, and I speak with some experience having worked at the Shannon's Nationals around there this year, the attitude of the promoter has also changed. So you've, you've still got to go out and promote. And, you know, remember the, the great old stories of the way John Davison would promote the Sandown 500. And going out and actually getting out there in the media marketplace, creating opportunities to build the brand for the event is what's going to help bring people through. Realistic ticket pricing is probably something that needs to be looked at as well. Um, and the, the other problem they've got as far as crowds go is that there's this expectation now that V8 supercars are going to get massive crowds. And it's probably the fault of events like the Clips of 500 where you do get 80,000 people come to a day. We had 16-odd thousand people on Sunday at Queensland Raceway. Looked like a really good crowd. Probably was. You know, most a lot of rugby league clubs would kill for 16,500 people at a game. So we're still there, but I think the perception of what makes up a good crowd is probably um, not quite where it needs to be at some events. I think if you went to the ARDC and said, we're going to give you 18,000 people on Sunday for the V8 supercars return there in two weeks, I reckon they go, thank you very much, we'll take it. That'll be a good crowd. But it's down to the promoter to make the right choices and spend the right amount of money and be smart with how they promote it. It's got nothing to do with a track name. You could, you could call it the Rubbish Tip 400, and as long as you promoted it properly, you'd still get a reasonable crowd out there. So it's down to the promoter, making sure they get it right, tick all the boxes, be smart about what money they spend on promoting the event, and you'll get the crowd. And the name, if anything, just might remove a little bit of the stigma that that place had about not being very good for spectating. And that's what Oran Park did so well because they had such yeah. big sponsors there early in, in its day. You know, the Grace Brothers, Toby Lee Sports Sedan, 5,000 Series. They raced late in the afternoon, bit of night racing as well. But they actually yeah. carried that way. Plus, the track was just fundamentally brilliant anyway. Something a little yeah. bit different, bit of high speed, bit of low speed. And they dined out on that for a long time. But yet, for whatever reason, we've just never been able to replicate that genuinely good atmospheric feel that we had at Oran Park at Sydney Motorsport Park. And I, for one, hope all of the work that they've done will assist in that. But what did Oran Park do better than anyone in New South Wales and anyone ever could achieve, including Avery Park, was promote. Mm. Promote, promote, promote with a marketing bias. I'll tell you what has been interesting for me, and I always get in trouble when I start talking football on this show, but uh, one thing that uh, a month ago you'd have to say that the the biggest promotion into New South Wales and Sydney in particular in the last 12 months has been GWS, the Australian Rules football team in Greater Western Sydney. I went to the Adelaide GWS game. There was 5,000 people there. Now, I then watched the GWS Collingwood game and I have to say there looked like there was less people there. If GWS is only getting 5,000 people... What and that is being just promoted to the hilt. What hope does Sydney Motorsport Park have in attracting a crowd, Richard? Well, the difference is that the, the Sydney Motorsport Park thing is it's a once a year thing, and V8 supercars roll in with the event, they're there for three days, and in most cases, that's the only time that group of fans gets to see them. So, the fans at Ipswich. Sure, they get Gold Coast down the road, but I know Ipswich don't like driving down the Logan Freeway too much, so um, 
you know, Adelaide, one event a year. That's it. Perth, it's the same. So GWS and, and AFL and NRL and foot and soccer is the same. There's going to be a game every other week, basically, if you're a, a home team. So maybe the V8 Supercar's advantage they've got is that they can draw on that once-a-year crowd that are really desperate to go and see the cars live, having watched them for 12 months, on TV. And I think that's where they differ. Um, the other thing, I think, perspective with G- GWS, they're a brand-new team in a completely anti-AFL market. Um, they're going to need time and time and time to build their crowds. Without Supercars is an established thing that needs to re-establish itself for the circuit. They haven't been for five years, so that's where they differ. Um, GWS won't be happy with their crowds, no doubt, but the other difference is the AFL's got the, um, the war chest to just keep funding that until it works, until they build up a reputation and build up a fan base. Mm. Sydney Swans started with a similar crowd when they first relocated yeah. as well. Guys, it's uh, it's always interesting to catch up with you both here on the V8 Insiders. And, uh, well, we've got plenty more we could talk about, but time has gotten away. Thanks very much to Chris Jewell and to Richard Crail. Cheers, Craig. Thanks, guys. Rick Kelly is up on the white flag lack next here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, V8 Insiders caught up with Rick Kelly following the Queensland Ipswich 300. The undertaking the team has made into four cars in the main game, two in the development series and, of course, building the Nissan program. We asked Rick how he sees the back end of this year playing out. Well, for us, we got, you know, that 80% of the engineering department is, is fresh from the start of the year and, um, you know, that presents opportunities for us and and challenges as well and it's been difficult to overcome those challenges with the guys coming to grips with our race team and the cars and and working together you know it takes a lot of time to get an engineering group to work at full capacity um, and uh, we're still working towards that so that's been uh, a little bit of a challenge which has sort of hindered our results and and progress and obviously this is also a very unique year for V8 supercars where um, we're basically running two teams at the same time, one working on Car of the Future and one trying to get results this year. So it's a bit of a balancing act as to how much effort you can put into developing the cars this year because obviously that's still important and we need to focus on that and obviously you know, make sure that what we're building next year is obviously uh, as good as we can have it as well. So a bit of a juggling act for us at the moment and um, you know, results again like this on the weekend aren't ideal. We've had some reliability issues in the last couple of rounds and we you know, we ticked a lot of boxes this weekend on that side of the fence. We didn't have those issues. The guys have done a lot of work to overcome them, which is great. And now you know, we, need to, we need to divert the, some of the focus we, that we've got um, and energy and resources we've got to, uh, to get the cars back up the front towards the end of this year so we can build on those results next year. Mm. Obviously, next year is a, is a huge task for every team up and down the uh, pit road. What does it mean when your opposition has got a car ready to run doesn't worry us in the slightest obviously we've seen two car the futures on the track um, a lot now and triple eight have have done a lot of work to get that car up and running and um, you know that's good it's good for the category to have someone like that out there with it with a car those guys have got to build nine obviously so um you know having one ready now is a great 
start for them, there's no doubt. And, you know, we can all learn from that. It's great to see, um, like I say, one complete and, and rolling around, and there's sure to be um, more not too far away. What about your own program? How long do you think Todd will have them ready to, for you to drive? Mate, well, we're, you know, we are governed by a lot of things. Obviously, the, the workload is one, but we have to get all the components as we, as we design them and um, make them approved by, obviously, Viet Supercars and, to, to a large extent, Nissan, uh, and then get everything homologated. And it's not something that's been done ever before. You know, we're introducing something that's, that's very new, and, and we're all learning. And when I say we're all learning, I mean us, Viet Supercars, and, and Nissan as well. So... It's a program that's, um, that's not fine-tuned just yet because it is the first time that we've all done it and uh, we're just working through it. Everyone uh, is doing a great job at the moment and um, that, you know, that will continue. You're looking at the marketing of the team primarily from my understanding. How have you seen uh, this year develop on a marketing and a brand level? Um, well, with the commercial side of our business, um, the scenery's changed over the last... You know, five, six, eight years. Uh, it's not not about a logo on the car anymore. That's obviously an important part, but it's about the business, the business relationships, and providing, you know, our sponsors and their customers with great experiences and and um, you know, great points of difference from other sports. And I think you know, our team in particular has done a fantastic job of that. We've got um, a lot of the best brands up and down pit lane within our stable. Um, and next year, we've had a lot of fantastic interest around uh, the project that we've got with with Nissan as well. And We've got uh, a lot of guys signed up for next year that um, I think you know should su- surprise a few people and um, are very strong for us. So we're quite chuffed about that. Obviously, uh, a second series of showroom showdown. How supercar, sorry, yeah, supercar showdown. Yeah. How, you've, how have you seen the development of that, and how does that fit into your model? Well, the Shannon Supercar Showdown for us is um, you know a very exciting initiative. There's not too many teams up and down pit lane that uh, have got younger driver programs anymore and Todd and I got our shot in Young Lions all those years ago and for us, um, you know, it's always been our aim in our own team to give that opportunity back to youngsters and in particular females as well in motorsport and and bring in, you know, new brands and and open um, a lot more people's eyes to to V8 supercars in our sport and and the program that we've got there with Shannon Supercar Showdown provides that opportunity um, and it puts V8 supercars on on, on the map on a weekly basis now so it's very exciting for us. Unfortunately, the dream of having a female racing for Kelly Racing at Bathurst ended this week where the final female in the show was evicted from the program. My thanks to Rick Kelly there along with Richard Crowell and Chris Jewell. Until next time round, as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.